Hi, I'm Malak Fuad, and welcome to What I Did Next from ANT Media. We're currently on our season break and we'll be back with new episodes in March. In the meantime, I wanted to share my conversation with legendary advertising guru Tariq Noor. Tariq told me about the trials and tribulations of the advertising world and how he continued to adapt to the constantly changing industry. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram X and on LinkedIn for updates. And you can also find longer video clips from my interviews on YouTube. Here's my conversation with Tariq. You know, when you, you asked me to, for an, for, for, to sit down with me for an interview, <laughs> and I looked at the environment landscape that I was born in. Yes. And that environment landscape is actually, when I put it down on paper, yeah. uh, it was uh, very surprising to me that I went, that my generation went through all this. So I put it on paper. Go ahead, tell so me I, what you're thinking. Yeah, I can tell you that I was born three years before the 1948 war. I was born seven years before the 1952 revolution. I was born 11 years before the 56 Suez Canal War. 17 years before Egypt suddenly became a socialist country. 22 years before the 1967 war. 27 years before the 1973 war. My God. 36 years before the assassination of Sadat and the appearance of fundamental Islam. Uh, from the age of 36 to 66, a relatively um, you know calm period where nothing happened in the time of Mubarak that ended up by uh, the... Uh, the 2011 revolution that did not work and destroyed, everybody knows that, destroyed Egypt's economy up to this day. Not that it wasn't, you know, that it worked well before. I was born 67 years before uh, the rise up of the Muslim brothers declaring political Islam and one year of Islamic rule. 68 years before the 30th of July, to 2012 uh, revolution and the declaration of President Sisi, President of Egypt. So I'm from a generation that has seen nine heads of states, four wars, 30 prime ministers. It's a lot. <laughs> My God. It's Three a lot. revolutions, more than 70 years of constant uh, financial crisis. We lived under socialism, capitalism. Actually, we lived under monarchy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, socialism, then capitalism, and then political Islam back to. So you've ha- you've seen it all in terms of the political landscape. I come from yeah from a generation that has seen the wealth of 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 monarchy and uh, the poverty of socialism and the open borders of free economy. Yes, I think we've seen it all. I want to move a little bit towards the actual beginning of your business. I began in 1973. Yeah. My first ad, Vayona. Yes. Ishrashar. Yes. Uh, Vayona, you know, the dandruff. Yeah. I remember this happened because I was uh, with Madame Laila Kirdani, who was my boss in the radio station, and I used to have a, uh, a musical program called uh, Pop and Underground Scene. And she said, uh, Tariq, can you find a way for us to get advertising because, you know, we don't have a penny and so that we can pay you. Uh, and that passed, you know. But through that, I, I, when I met Laurie, I said, no, you know, I have to do something with my life. And then I went to, to t- actually technology and computers in, uh, in Al Ahram. And uh, we were on the 11th floor. On the 10th floor, there was an advertising agency of the Al Ahram. That's where the link happened. 
and uh, and from that program on radio somebody heard heard my program and called me and said you know can you do uh, can you do uh, advertising i said of course not i cannot do i've never seen i i cannot operate the camera i've never directed in my life i never wrote anything and he said his name was Abdullah Shabka. He was uh, an account executive in uh, in Al Ahram uh, Advertising Agency. Allah irhamu ba. And uh, and I said, fine. I'll, Madam Laila Al Kirdani wanted me to do that. You know that that for them. And so I went to a friend, Saad Hathout. He had a shop in Sharif Street called Playboy. And he just came from Canada. Never seen somebody who taken so much money every single day. He didn't have time to sell. I mean, you know, boom, boom. But from what? He was selling clothes. Clothes. And I was sitting next to him, uh, next to the... Uh, the cashier. Cashier. <laughs> and and I used to hold the cashier da up and down, <laughs> up and down, and close. Um, and so I asked him, I said, why don't you do some advertising? He told me, you're crazy. You can see, I don't need advertising. I said, malish, for me, Yani. And we did it. So he was your first ad? He was my first ad on the radio. On the radio. And you voiced it? No. No. No, no, no. Actually, it was a jingle, of course, because I was a musician. Jingle King also, known as that. And so uh, uh, Abdullah Shabka heard that and said, okay, you must do a television ad. And I said, I don't know anybody. And so it introduced me to somebody called Abdul Latif Fahmi. His name is Tutu, very well known as a uh, cinematographer uh, and we went to the american university found a few girls made our first ad on television called biona for dandruff Mm -hmm. and uh, black and white at the time incredible Uh, you make me go back so much (laughs) in time Uh, and uh, and i did that and all of a sudden you know all all hell broke loose and they said you know People started to look for me. But tell me, Tari, how what was it about that first ad that was different to what was already being seen on TV? Because clearly there was a difference in what you had produced and what was already out there. It's a very, 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 very story because advertising at that time was uh, press-based. I mean, you know, the press would, you know, the, the, the everyday newspaper would sell advertising. TV advertising was um, animation, cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't real people in real life stories no and in fact it was at the time when even the press made a lot of huge not grammatical mistakes but mistakes like for example they would forget a point or forget in the elif of the, the th- thing and I remember an ad at that time al Abd Salam Akbar Ma'arad Fi Masr the biggest um, uh, shop in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And they forgot the point on the dot. So it made him, Al-Hag, Muhammad Salam the biggest pimp <laughs> in Egypt. <laughs> it's incredible. It totally changed the meaning. Yeah, yeah. It totally yeah, changed yeah. him from the world of, of advertising. Course, of he course. never understood. <laughs> he got ejected from it all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was the world at that time. At that time. You know, yeah. it's uh, like I say, it's the world of black and white. And then I went into television and then things, you know, with the mindset of somebody who can play uh, foreign jingles, but transposed into Arabic jingles. Uh, See, that's what I find really interesting because the, 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 those early years were so, what's the word, were so um, 
such a homegrown product, right? They were so um, associated with the 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 roh of Egypt, right? Um, and yet, here you are saying that you you brought with you uh, know-how or techniques that you might have seen when you were in California, but you still translated them into a very localized product. And you were you are forever associated with those. You know, those childhood uh, people remember from their childhood these ads. Well, that came from my childhood as well, yeah. with the Lamloum family yes. and, and the power of imagination. And that later came on to be the slogan of, that I work by, nothing like uh, the power of imagination. The, what is imagination? It's the un unconventional uh, thought. It's the other angle. It's the enemy of the ordinary, uh, whereby things can go out of the tunnel they have and extend uh, their aperture and, uh, uh, and dare to go into the uncommon sense, if you, if you will, uh, the logical of the illogical. And I took that as fascinating because I always get fascinated. I f I'm, I'm equally fascinated by the intelligence of people and their wit, uh, equally fascinated by being dorky or, or being unintelligent. I'm always fascinated. Mm -hmm. As I said, you know, I wake up every morning with that feeling in mind. I'm completely, I, I look at people and go into this world of how are they like this? And that's, this is how I went through that every person is a product of their own environment. And so they form their opinion because of the 2,000 people they have really known in their lives. While we are 8 billion people in this world and and so that showed me how limited we are in our knowledge and our view of things and our opinion. Yeah. And, and so that's why I developed to be uh, a little bit uh, 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 tolerating to other people's and, and why they are like this. So based on what you're saying, you are very much a, a, a boy of the 60s and you seem to be a very firm believer in um, that your inspiration and your uh, your work can only have been produced because you were from a certain time. A certain time that has seen uh, a lot of revolutions. I'm, I'm somebody that came and saw all this. Even in Egypt, when you think about black and white television, when you think about telephones with dials, when you think about uh, satellite, uh, I'm also a product of... Uh, I mean, the last thing that happened uh, and that also I believe is changing the world of communication, which is uh, the 2020 uh, pandemic and, and that subjected us all to stay uh, indoors. Mm -hmm. And I believe that 2020 was a pivotal year in, in changing a lot of things in our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got me a little bit concerned of what's going to happen with technology mm -hmm. because Although technology is going to, to, to be of benefit to humankind, it also can be a, uh, a horrible thing that yeah. can happen because of, of, of your own interests. I just want to go back one uh, a little bit earlier when you actually did begin your, your company. So we're talking 1973. 1976, I started a... Uh, a company mm -hmm. with my partner Nasser Kharafi from Kuwait. This is Americana. This is Americana. Yep. And the reason why I called it Americana Advertising Agency is because I had about 20 to 30 ads on TV every night. Mm -hmm. So I thought that 
that I would help his business, Americana, by having the same same name. The same name. And from there, and I remember I took 100,000 pounds to start that company. And, uh, and Alhamdulillah, it just evolved into a very successful business uh, later on. And, and your establishment of the company came at the same time as the Iftitah. So that's Iftitah. Right. So you were part of a generation and a, and a group of individuals who was the new Egypt, the, the, the reawakening, the reopening. It must have been a very exciting time to be launching this business and and riding that positivity that was that was being felt in Egypt at the time, I think. Yes, and it was because of Anwar Sadat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is 180 degrees away from Where socialism we all were. Yeah. to open borders. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> Although the open borders, I mean, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, once you embark on, a, on, on that direction, the, the opposite direction, of course there's going to be consequences, but that doesn't mean that it's 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 supposedly bad mm -hmm. i mean you know it's uh because there are a lot of people who come and say you know that it's just too quick uh, all of this yeah it was a natural evolution of egypt and tell me Tariq, when you were in the 70s and specifically in the 80s when there was the rise of political islam were you conscious of trying to uh, counter that in, in certain messages? Again, because of the environment I was born in, the very, very open environment I was born in, I was completely against uh, uh, closing up one's mind, actually. And uh, and also being a prisoner of your own environment. I refused the, to, to get stuck in it because I am born a Muslim, because I, you, you know, all these... Uh, all Restrictions. These, yeah, all these limits you, the, the 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 world has imposed on you, or humanity has imposed on you. Uh, it's uh, uh, the ability of seeing a wider angle uh, was not was was possible for everyone, um, and there's no fear into going into that world. Uh, I would. I'm somebody who would jump in the ocean and look for the safety thing ring you know and and your opinion on the egyptian character because i always think of egyptians as inherently a positive want to have a good time not very serious but in a good way not in a bad way and so a a, a, a philosophy or an ideology like political islam in my mind would never stick long term here because we like to have fun it, what do you think of that Again, you're speaking about, you know, within the realm of of your own environment in which you were born in, in and because you, uh, Malak, have, have been subjected to the world, to, to a global uh, existence. Uh, it's not the same here. I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of the average Egyptian. They don't want to be told what to do. Well, nobody likes to be told what to do, but, you know, it depends on, on what, what, you know, uh, it depends very much uh if you if you are in in a, a time of need uh, or not these people are if, if you're extremely poor if you ne never have given be, been given the chance to have uh to speak your own mind if you so of course you listen to people of course you will go and, and seek advice now if you go and seek advice from somebody who's good fine if somebody who's wants to manipulate you that's the bad thing but it's normal it's normal. The Egyptian people are naturally, uh, of, I don't know if anybody would say that about their own people, but uh, I, I'm amazed by the, the, 
their their intelligence. I'm amazed by their wit. I'm amazed by their ability to uh, to survive for such a long time in that environment. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what it, I mean. It's, it's, it, they're, they're incredible people, but they also uh, are, you know, everybody works for their own interests. And if your own interest is to eat, all, all, all you want to do is eat, <sighs> definitely you're going to be manipulated and you're going to, uh, to listen mm -hmm. to somebody else mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. you do, don't even like. Yeah. If, if your child and a friend are fell out in the water and both of them are drowning. Who would you save? Yeah, you would save your child. Your own interest. Your own interest. So, your own interest is a natural thing that that anybody's going to do, and not to be scolded for that. It's only something. It's natural. Yeah. It's especially it's a motherly instinct and a fatherly one as well. What were the highlights of the period of being in the in the joint venture with Americana and Khorafi in terms of the ads? What are the ones that stand out in your mind as the, the epitome of that period for you? Uh, I remember that uh, uh, the Americana ads were, or that we did for them in, in Kuwait and uh, were uh, huge success. I mean, they, they contributed to... Uh, a lot in their companies, not to say that they had great Egyptian management uh, that was led by uh, a friend of mine now, a very good friend of mine now, uh, Amgad al-Mufti. So we're talking their brand, so KFC, Pizza Hut. And all the, and all the advertising, you know, that I I just, as I told you, I have a you very don't short, remember. <laughs> I don't remember, but I do remember the, the the advertising later on yeah that that happened which is like the secret of Schweppes for example mm -hmm. that was a very big campaign very big campaign very popular yeah and also the the campaign of the, the taxes campaign mm -hmm. the ribe with the use of Boutros Ghali that made actually Egypt uh, it it made the number one uh, revenue for Egypt up to this to this day just because Yusuf Boutros Ghali uh, observed the rule of of campaigns uh, of that sort, and he continued five years in a row that campaign, and so five years it got us real results. And this is a campaign where you can actually calculate the results: how much did you make when we started? How much did you make as a country? Mm -hmm. And I considered that to be uh, the, the 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 best I have done, mm -hmm. and uh, the. Is something really fulfilling yeah. to know that I've helped the country in, in that way. Yeah. Although working with Americana and its brands propelled Tarek's career, both as an ad man and as an entrepreneur, that partnership came to an abrupt end. We get into that pivotal moment after this break. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hala Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show.
Welcome back. I'm Malak Fuad and you're listening to my conversation with Tariq Noor. Some of my listeners might not know about the um, the, the period when you, you and Americana went your separate ways. Tell me a little bit about what happened there. So it was a very, very, very sad situation. This was 1997. I was in Greece and coming back. And uh, no, let me go back. Before I went to Greece, I had a... Uh, a visit from the guy I was dealing with under Nasser Khurafi. And uh, he decided all of a sudden, uh, he surprised me to say, look, we are we would like uh, to name another uh, chairman for our company. Obvious question, why? He said, no, it's just, you know, he didn't tell me the real reason. And I never knew the reason why. Uh, uh, until th- this day, so that straight away told me that this was time for me to 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 get away because he, he, clearly he didn't understand the type of, of 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 work that I was in and that it had to do with talent, and that the people that I have in my company are uh, extremely loyal to to that talent uh, that that I brought into the country, and so actually what he was doing he was ending the company. But I didn't expect uh, uh, one thing, which is when I was away, when I was in Greece, to be attacked by a bunch of people, you know, in order to frame, uh, I don't know. It, it was a something very, very strange. It was the first time that this happens in the business community. And I went to, uh, I came back, I was afraid to go home. Uh, because of what happened, an attack on on your, and then the attack took place on the attack the office, the, the main the office. office. Yeah, it was a big office because it has you know it has, uh, and uh, and they were met by resistance of our own security, uh, who were there two days before because our managers saw that there were people were roaming around, and uh, and this was my first shock at. <laughs> How business could be uh, that violent? Mm, I, that I, ugly. oh, yeah. it's it's horrible. It's uh, it's 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 a shock. It made me rethink many many other things. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a point in my in my life which uh, is very painful for me to 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 think about, and uh, it, it changed a lot of things. It ended up by both of us uh, uh, going to see the prime minister, and he told us, "Look, we are embarking on a private sector situation here, where we would like the private." And this is not a good example. You're not doing a good example. And uh, and it ended up by, and he said, "You either buy him or you buy." There's no point in him buying me out. Uh, so I bought him out because him buying me out means the end of the company. You know, it's another business. Americanis is a food business and this is other. But uh, it ended up by me buying him out. And changing the name of the company, obviously. Changing the, the name of the company to my name. Actually, we, 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 the, the, the problem was uh, at that time that I wanted the name of Tariq Noor Americana. He wanted the name Tariq Noor Americana, my name. I said, it's impossible for you to take my name. Otherwise, I wouldn't exist. Mm. So we decided in the end to split. I mean, me giving him the name 
Americana. Americana and me keeping my name. And that's where the second stage of my work began, which is Tariq Noor communication. And I want to just pause there a minute, Tariq. What did you learn from the experience? What did it, I mean, you mentioned that it taught you that there was a very ugly side to business, clearly. But what did you learn in terms of going forward for the next phase for you? I learned that uh, for the first time in uh, my life, like Bill Gates said to uh, to the Harvard graduates, uh, that uh, that life is not fair, that business life is not fair and you better get used to it, uh, because it was a shock to me. I mean, to me, everything until that time was, uh, you know, it, it was a rosy life. Mm -hmm. uh, we were making money. We were happy. There was, mm, I never thought that partners uh, would do this. And you had gotten along well with your partners until Ex that point. Extremely, yeah. extremely. And it was a very big, I mean, that we had somebody in the middle that was not happy with that relationship between me and Nasser Kharafi. Uh, this is what I learned. I mean, you know, that there was another side yeah. to business and the lesson of my life, really. And then, so after that, you, you started on your own. And after that, I continued uh, because I was on my own from the beginning and they were silent partners. Uh, I continued my business and, uh, and went uh, elsewhere. And you took no more partners at this point. You decided. Oh, oh no, we did. We actually, we did. We, we, our partners came in 2008 and they, they, at that time, they were the biggest advertising agency worldwide, DDB. And uh, they were part of the Omnicon, Omnicon group. Yeah which w was the biggest communication group at uh, the time. The reason why I was very happy with this company because the name DDB, the last, mm. uh, was Birnbach. And Birnbach was viewed as the guru of advertising at that time. He was a fantastic copywriter, uh, a little bit like Ogilvy, mm -hmm. Ogilvy and Mather. And so I was very proud to be... But why did you feel the need to partner with an international company? Did you have ambitions to go outside of Egypt? Or because you were already such a huge name in the Middle East and in Egypt. Why the need to add another partner? Why not try, why not do it alone? Well, I mean, you know, the, it's, it's evolution. I mean, it's the difference between uh, being local and getting a, a, a lot of experience from the states where advertising really uh, was businessized. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, it's in the quest to... Uh, to learn more about uh, my work and getting exposed more to uh, the uh, international advertising agency, especially that at that time, lots of international agencies started in Egypt to come in Egypt. Yeah. And so therefore, we needed to have an international name with us in order to compete. Uh, and, and, and so that's the reason. We're still partners up to this moment. When we come back, we'll move on to an important personal pivot for Tariq. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hala Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. 
You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. Welcome back again. I'm Malak Fuad, and you're listening to What I Did Next. This is my chat with Tariq Noor. I want to move on, uh, Tariq, please, to uh, a personal thing, which is you were ill a few years ago in 2015. You had cancer, you had prostate cancer. Um, I was also ill uh, at a younger age than you, same, same illness. What did that teach you? How did it change you? It happened in the beginning of November 2014. Lori and me were going to California on the plane, and I looked at a magazine, and in that magazine was a very well-known personality. I think he was an actor or a singer, and they were, uh, you know, interviewing his wife, and she gave, and she said, never believe doctors when it comes, my, my husband died of prostate cancer, and uh, you have to go through, you know, after the age of 40, you have to go through, especially for men and women, breast cancer, you have to go through the process of looking after your prostate, because if you catch it early, like every cancer, it's fine. Then I closed that magazine, and then we stayed at Lori's best friend in Los Angeles. And throughout the visit, I hear the name Dr. Bowie every time. And Dr. Bowie was an oncologist, and he was the doctor of a friend of Diane, which is Lori's best friend. And uh, and I would say, who's Dr. Bowie? He says, oh, you know, it's because of cyan, I don't know, he has uh, prostate cancer. So said, okay, I want to go and see him. Had you ever tested for this before? Had you done regular I checkups? Was, I was fine. I was four point something, which is fine for my age. And every doctor would tell me, it's fine for your age. So I went to the doctor, Bowie, and then he said, you know, I have this and I have, my PSA is 4.3. Uh, and he says, that's fine for your age. He said, that's exactly what I don't want to hear. I want to make this. He says, fine. If you want to spend some money, but I'm telling you, you're okay. I said, yes, I do. And... Um, and then, okay, he said, I'll do an MRI first. If I find something in the MRI, I will go on from there. He did find something in the MRI. There was a shadow. But Tare, that's incredible that you you pushed for that when you had an instinct or you had a feeling? That's or? what Laurie always said. It is an instinct. Because you had no symptoms, right? No. And uh, the doctor told me, you've got an angel on your shoulder. Uh, and then we went and saw the doctor. Surprise, I've got not good news to tell you you have 90% aggressive cancer in your prostate. And he didn't know if it went out or not. He, they would only really know after the operation. <clears throat> and he, he said, it's up to you. At your age, you can not make an operation because it's a very, very slow-moving cancer. So they wanted to remove the tumor? They wanted to remove the prostate. It's 95%. The, the whole prostate. The whole prostate. It's like a ping-pong ball. And there is a way to... to and now they have uh, a... A robot-like, uh, you know, yeah. procedure. Very laparoscopic, thin. laparoscopic. Yeah. I think they call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But with a robot called the Da Vinci method. With doctors, you you feel you have a. I mean, with my doctor, I knew immediately that my my father wanted me to have a second opinion, and I said, "No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to do it with this guy." I knew. I just I felt comfortable with him. Yeah, that's that's the most important yeah. thing. Now, the period when he, he told me, "Look." After I make the operation, I'm going to know if something came out or not. Which obviously, after I made the operation afterwards, nothing happened. But in those two months that I stayed 
he told me to take care of your things, to start thinking that you might, you know. To put your affairs in order, isn't that what they call it? Yes. And I remember I lived my life normally. I wasn't even thinking. I, it didn't, I did it make didn't my affairs upset in you? Order. I'm not at all, Malak. It's, it's incredible. It's like I was laughing. I was doing everything. Uh, so I discovered something about myself is that, is that uh, I'm really, you know, I go with the flow. That's a I, character uh, thing, isn't it? I, I, but had your affairs been in order? It's fatalistic. Because that also matters. Did you, are you the sort of person who was always careful with your, with your uh, finances, with your, um, did you keep Laurie and, and your son in the loop of things? Were things already Oh, pretty I'm, much I, established on that definitely, front? Definitely, I'm a family man. Yeah. And I kept Lori and uh, and Kareem definitely in the loop all the time. It was, uh, 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 it was a, a venture, uh, and I uh, decided, uh, you know, to f f you know this institution called marriage is to uh, uh, behave like it is an institution and and so therefore i've got duties and so the, therefore everybody knew everything they they can do anything and there was a trust and there was all of this in mind but of course like uh, you know when you have two months he told you that the doctor yeah he gave me, you have two months to because if i find something it's a matter of time if i find something it, it no if i find something it's between two and three years so I would have two or three years to do that. But but it, in those two months, he said, you know, uh, take care of your things. And I found out that, uh, you know, it was life as usual for me. There was no problem. I didn't, you know, when I went, and, and I'm a very vocal person. And I would ask my friends, how are you? Oh, I have cancer. I said, what? <laughs> you know? And I found that many, many people would hide that information. And I didn't understand why, because it's not logical. I mean, you know, throughout my questions, I found a lot of information uh, that I need to know. And, uh, and then I found that a lot of people I didn't know had cancer. Had yeah. cancer. For me, uh, Tari, I find that also, I, I'm like you, I'm very open about these things. And I found that very fascinating. Uh, I moved to Egypt 20 years ago, and I found that that closeness was very much an Egyptian thing or maybe an Arab thing, I don't know. But people hide, for example, their their parents go to a doctor and the children don't tell the mother or the father that they're ill. I find that so difficult to understand. I do too. And I and I don't understand that that person has a right to know what's happening to them. And um, I don't understand that, that sort of logic. Um, but it's very common. That goes again to the environment you were born in, and 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 what has become of you, and why yeah. you hide such an information. Yeah. Is it because of, of it's not you know my sahish or or aib or I don't understand how can it be. My sister died of cancer. My half sister died of cancer. Basmanur and uh, and after she died, her sister uh, told me that uh, Alia told me that she didn't want to tell you because she didn't want to bother you. And she did not want you to to worry. To worry. Uh, that's another reason. Yeah, yeah, huh? yeah. So it's not only that's a big reason a lot of people have. So that's not only to hide the shame of. But so the learning for you, uh, I'm asking you, could have you learned to live more fully, or have you always lived your life 
And you've carried on living your life in the same way. I have always lived my life in the same way, fully. I have even made <laughs> slogans about this. <laughs> always told people, you've got 20 summers left. And 20 summers does not mean 20. It could be 30, it could be 40, it could be five. But that means that uh, summer is the time where we have time to go out and see friends and enjoy ourselves and to do things we haven't done in the whole year. So... I, I think that I would tell you if you have if you want something to do and you can afford to do it, do it now. You don't have time. Yeah. Twenty time twenty twenty times is not much. Yeah. To the point where where one of the biggies in in DDB uh in New York made a club called Twenty Summers. Uh you know, the uh the philosophy beyond thinking that we don't have time, that time is our enemy. And so, mm -hmm. so I have lived fully. And and after you got better, alhamdulillah, you're, you're fine. Did you then take a step back from the company? Was that maybe a subconscious thing that you decided I, I want to? I don't know if this was an element that made me step back, but, uh, uh, you know, just like I made the decision to get married at the age of what I should have been married, uh, just like, you know, I was... Uh, took a decision to go in the world of music, uh, just like uh, I made the decision to to win in sports. Like I was, uh, uh, I was a champion of squash at the uh, under seventeen between Egypt and Syria. So I went through the motions of everything, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and and being a, you know it's the the reason why I went into uh, to this is what I learned at school is and, and the one to win, Jesuit type of thing. Are you, are you Jesuit? Were you in a Jesuit? No? Yes, I was, yeah. So I'm French educated. Uh, and uh, so between the Charles Aznavour and, <laughs> and the Edith Piaf and the Who and Jimmy Hendrix. So yeah, yeah, a total, lots of influences. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah, everything is there. But but that's that's Egypt for you. It was it's a melting pot. It, it always is, has it, been. It is. It's 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 an amalgamation and an extremely rich Absolutely. life, and uh, the time I was born in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think the new generations are go are going to go through? And uh, in in the next fifty years, you know that's a huge question, and it's a question I ask myself a lot because I have two children, seventeen and fifteen year old boys, and they're at that age where, you know, you and me knew an analog age. They didn't know the analog age. They don't. They're not aware of it. They were very too young. Their entire life has been lived in a digital environment where the online world is in complete parallel to the world that we walk around in. And I think that is going to impact their, their lives in a way that I can't understand, I can't imagine. I don't know how that's going to be for them. I worry about it, but people who know more about this than I do, people like Mo Gaudat, we talked a lot about this in my interview with him. Um, he is a, He's a positive uh, believer in what AI can give us, and as long as it's harnessed correctly. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what to expect. But on the other side, the other big question for their generation, which, you know, you and I are now recording this on the first day of COP27, 
um, is climate change. Climate change, I think, is going to transform their world in a very negative way. We're going to have water shortages. We're going to have sea levels rising. And especially in Egypt, we have a lot of these issues. Potentially, Alexandria won't exist by the time my children are old men. Who knows? I think that the climate issue is going to really take over as the most pressing issue of their generation. You know, between generation, between the agriculture generation and, the, and for example, in the industrial uh, generation, it was 100 years and then 150 years yeah. after that. Now it's quicker. It's accelerating yeah. and it's every single day you wake up to, yes. uh, to, to something else. And so the future is extremely unknown, not only unknown, but the fear of, of that machines are going to take over. I mean, it sounds like, for example, Jules Verne and going to the moon yeah. at the time. Yeah. It was an impossible thing. But I think it's going to be reality. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to change even our physical appearance. Yes. And, uh, the, the, and so therefore, you know, this generation, my generation more than yours, uh, we can, we, we, as long as we keep a little bit abreast of what's happening now, is we can only uh, tell the future generations uh, to take care of technology because technology in the end, as much as it can help you, it can completely destroy you. Mm -hmm. uh, and is there something they can do about it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Is there something they can do about uh, global warming? I, I don't know, mm. because this takes, you know... Um, it takes a global effort. A global effort uh, to do that. And then you are fighting against other people's interests. Exactly. How can you do that? Exactly. exactly. I mean, you know, that's the scary, scary thing about what's going it to is, happen. It is, it is. So what is next for you? You are semi-retired. You're involved in your business still, more on the TV side. Uh, how much time does that take of your of your daily life, and what what else are you doing with your time? What do you see coming up for you? Uh, I would like to. Uh, what's coming up for me is the conversions of uh, conventional communication that I said changed in 2020 uh, because of biotechnology, uh, and I would like to for my people and, the, and my associates at work to really think about uh, the world of communication next. And I would like to, uh, to tell the people that the, the world of conventional uh, media, although it could be dead to some people, it isn't dead to others, and, uh, and media is media. So calling it conventional is just a tool, it's just a, a media that has changed to uh, to something that we don't know uh, going to happen because my work is really, you know, is selling a product or a service to somebody else. You're selling a story. Or, or selling somebody yes. to somebody else. And, and, and in the end, so therefore, knowing who you're going to sell it to and that who is going to be calculated by machines uh, and even they're going to tell you what creative uh, you should do or the components at least of what you should do and uh, even the emotional side of it can be calculated mm -hmm. uh, i i don't pretend they would they would know the answer but to get ready for if they want to continue in that business for that world and it's going to happen sooner 
sooner, much sooner than they think. I interviewed recently on on this season uh, Amy Mouefi. Amy is a uh, it's a family business. Um, they run uh, a lot of these online publications, Cairo Scene, Cairo, a lot of these online publications, but they also have a media company. And she was saying they are moving into the metaverse. They are reformatting their company to be ready for Web3. And that entire different way of approaching media. Is that what you're referring to? Is that what you well, mean? I've, I've asked many people what is uh, Web3, and I found it very difficult for me to understand. And I don't think they even know uh, where Web3 is going to take them. Uh, but I, you know, I sat down with Amy on the plane coming back from uh, Riyadh the, this time, and I asked her uh, this question. Mm. And uh, Amy is one of the people that are not uh, afraid of venturing Absolutely. into the, the unknown. Yes. And so she's, she's a very interesting person. She's taken a leap of faith into this world. Definitely. Yeah. I even asked her to, to make me a program uh, or to, to, uh, uh, to join in a program. Uh, is conventional media dead? She liked that. And I hope she doesn't forget. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll make sure she listens to this. <laughs> yes. She's a very, very, she's excited. Yes. She's, she's an exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tariq, thank you very, very much. My pleasure. I, uh, this was so interesting. We discussed so many different things. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. I did enjoy it very much. Thank you.